Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. I have my pumpkin spice latte. Very nice. And it's September. It's fall, y'all. It's spooky season. It's spooky season, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> it's my favorite time of year, but I can't enjoy it because, you know, it's still 90 degrees outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Um, but we've gotten like so much effing rain recently um, that now the mosquitoes are bad too. So, oh uh, yeah, that's not fun. We've stopped having pool time, and um, so I'm running this ongoing eel ramp network along with University of Houston um, Clear Lake. They're the heads of the project and I'm the TPW, one of the TPWD coordinators. And uh, we have like three sites down here on the mid coast. And um, one of my sites was 20 feet underwater. Oh, mm-hmm. that's fun. Yeah. I did it, not realize your sites were that deep. I thought they were all like, I don't know, ankle deep to knee deep sites. They are. Oh. Yeah. Oh, the, you're saying because it rained so much. The river rose 20 feet above normal. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Sorry. Um, it took me a minute to get there. I, uh, I'm definitely not with it this morning. <laughs> no, it's totally I, fine. I was even like trying to like this morning I was trying to find like an eye doctor and I was looking at my insurance card trying to type things in uh-huh. and like just reading the website I like had to stare at it for a minute because I was like what the fuck is this trying to say because it says I med vision care but I was reading it like I need divisions in care like <laughs> i was like what you're like yeah i i do need vision care you were yeah kidding. i was like i think i need brain care is really what i need yeah um yeah so we have this network of of ramps um basically what we're doing is we're trying to target glass eels which are the second life stage of american eels they um after the eels hatch in the Sargasso Sea way off the coast in Bermuda, that area. They swim on in. Well, they get pulled in by currents. 
Um, mm -hmm. And then they metamorphose into the next stage, which is glass eels. And then they swim up the um, rivers and along the American coast and live the rest of their life out in fresh water um, until they go out to the Sargasso Sea to spawn and die. So we're targeting the glass eel stage because we want to kind of know what, um, you know, juvenile fish population recruitment looks like on the coast so we can better predict what future populations of American eels will look like in Texas. Problem is, we totally have eels here. They're here. No one has ever caught a glass eel oh. in Texas on the Gulf or on the Gulf Coast, like period. That's interesting. I wonder yeah. why. Whereas in, back in Virginia, we, you know, caught them all the time. I was just Googling <laughs> pictures of them again and I was like, the smell was just coming back to me. Like, mm -hmm. I remember the smell of these things. The yeah, if you get them in big numbers, um, they they start to produce a slime. <laughs> yeah. I just remember, like, Troy trying to teach us, uh, like, how to extract the otolith from mm -hmm. these eels. And, y'all, like, some of these eels are so small. Like, their head was the size of, like, your pinky nail or smaller. Yeah. And so, like, you're trying to extract these ear bones from something. So you have them under a microscope and you have, like, a tweezer and, like, a scalpel. And you're just like trying to pick apart. And then the ear bone is essentially like a grain of sand. Like it is so yeah. small. Yeah. And there's a bunch of other bones in there too. So I remember one time I was like just picking out like little pieces of bone. I was like, is that it? Is that it? Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's okay. It's a learning curve. And I was like, yeah, I just feel dumb, but I also don't know what I'm doing. So I'm convinced. But then once you, once you got it down, it was fine. But yeah. It was just Trying to yeah. find it when it's so small is so hard. I'm convinced that because I did that, I can pull any otolith from any fish. Me too. Point, you know. Yeah. Like. <laughs> that was like my favorite thing to do. Like I wish I could just like pull otoliths all day and just age fish. Oh, do it. <laughs> no, I did it really? way too much with uh, Olivia, and I. I never want to touch like agent you mean again. you didn't mind it when we were in the lab and we just had music going and like we were just like sanding and cutting yes. and i'm just sure i have carpal tunnel from that <laughs> i don't know i thought it was fun <laughs> well then you can continue on otolith work if you want to but i'm like no thanks i'll pull them we actually have um a woman who's a, a technician in our lab that literally does all of the otolith work for us. And it's amazing. And I yeah. love it. Like that's her entire Is job. Is she a volunteer or job? That's like her job. That's her job. Oh, yeah. wow. That's nice. Because we have so many otoliths coming in from all of the different like bay systems in Texas yeah. and they all come to us and then we, you know, research and analyze and do all that stuff. But yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's what's going on with me. So my one of my eel ramps may be just gone. I don't know because I haven't been able to see it for three weeks. Yeah, and also, like, you don't weigh that down very well because it doesn't need to be weighed down. Like, typically, it's just, like, in some leaf Oh, it's, it's tied to cinder blocks. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah, and one time I went within the last three weeks, and I saw the top of it. It was the first week, but I couldn't actually get to it because the water was moving so fast. I wonder if you're going to get anything else in there. Because the river rose so high. 
oh, I'm sure. I'm sure we lost the bucket. I'm sure we lost the intake. Like, yeah. but I'm hoping to God that the ramp is still there. So it's been one of those months already yeah. <laughs> with field work. And uh, it's not even halfway through the month yet. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what's going on with you? Not a whole lot. Um, I This weekend, I am painting my bathroom vanity last weekend. <gasps> yeah. Last weekend I took the stupid, whatever it's like the melanin or whatever that term is like the coating, the stupid mm-hmm. plastic coating off of it. And I bought a heat gun to do it and it was so fun. I want to like heat gun more stuff. <laughs> heat guns are awesome. I use it. So fun. I use it to make armor for Corey out of like craft foam for the Halloween oh, costume last year. That's you cool. can use it to like bend them the foam yeah. and shape it. It was fun. That's cool. Yeah. I it was oddly satisfying watching this plastic coating bubble up on my cabinet and just like fall off. It was <laughs> and so strangely um, satisfying. Yeah, I mean like the particle board underneath was completely clean, like it, it was great. It was so easy. It took me like 30 minutes to do. It was not hard at all. And a, a um, rare DIY that actually works the way you want it to. <laughs> I YouTubed a lot before I did yeah. this though. YouTube was definitely my friend. And so on like YouTube and reading things too, I read that like this particle board, like you, when you're painted, like you need to have an oil-based primer because like water or latex will make the board swell, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And so so I was going back and forth between like a dark navy bluish color and like a lighter, like oceany blue kind of color. Ooh. And um, I just ended up like after looking at the wallpaper that I chose and like the, the, the vision I was going with, I just ended up going with a light, a light blue color. So I was like, cool, cool, cool. This makes my life a lot easier because I can just get a white primer. <laughs> it's like the gray one is nowhere to be found. You'll and have so, to show me your wallpaper and the color you chose, cause yeah, I'll or send maybe it to you. yeah, I'll text it to you right now. Um, I want to you'll see. see your and vision. I, I bought it. Yeah, I bought a new light sconce too, so like you'll see how that will play into it. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I last weekend I uh, took the the gross, ugly stuff off, and then this weekend I um, just. I'm trying to paint it. So I primed it already today. I'm going to paint the, paint it the blue color and I got black, uh, handles for things on the yeah. planet. So, and then I put a new like towel rod in and paper, t- paper, toilet paper roll holder. in. cause. Oh like, my God. It's so cute. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. <laughs> I love so, that wallpaper. Right. And it's like the peel and stick. So it's like, should be super yeah. easy fingers crossed it's super easy and then, yeah so that's really what i'm doing with that because that's the only room in the house that has drywall in it so right <laughs> i was like that's really what i can do right now when it comes to painting things and doing things in there and you know what and that'll help it'll help yeah really. i think it'll help because i'll be yeah. like okay one room down um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the whole rest of the house to go yeah 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 um, and my boyfriend, he's so great, but he's so he's so cute. He's like, don't work too hard. I'm like, babe, painting a cabinet's not hard. No. Like, <laughs> he's I like, love Take some painting, time for yourself. Actually. I know, me too. I was like, this is fine. I was like, it took me 30 minutes to do this. It's not hard at all. Like, <laughs> no. 
boys don't like, like painting. Corey hates it. So I think that's part of it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe he just thinks like, I don't any work around the house. Like I shouldn't be doing. I, I don't know. But um, he's in the dry tortugas this weekend for work. And oh my God, this is a, I don't know, survival story adjacent. Okay. Um, so he went into uh, the dry tortugas for work and mm -hmm. we all know, maybe we don't all know, but like the dry tortugas, the national park is the water. And then Fort Jefferson is the fort where the ferry lands at for like mm -hmm. the dry tortugas. Yeah. So um, it's 80, it's like 80 miles from Key West or something crazy like that. Yeah, it's it's a distance for sure. It takes like two hours on a ferry to get there. Mm -hmm. about. Um, but like the ferry does day trips. So if you guys are ever in Key West and want to do a day trip, like look into it way ahead of time because the ferry is always sold out and you can camp there. Everybody gets like a bag, a cooler and uh, a tote. So like you could totally camp overnight there if you wanted to. I've done it. Super fun. Anyway, um, so he goes to the Dry Tortugas periodically for work to patrol that area. And he's there this weekend. And when they are there, they stay in the fort and everything's fine. They like, you know, because there's National Park Service people that stay out there and like they mm -hmm. have dorms essentially in parts of that fort. Um, at 4 a.m. Saturday morning, like they get woken up because 30 Cuban migrants landed on the oh. beach and like... I get this text at like 5 a.m. from him. Also, there's no cell service out there, but like since they're like law enforcement and they work with the park, like they use their Wi-Fi and everything. So I get, so he texts me off the Wi-Fi. And so like I get this text at like 5 a.m. and I hear my phone going off. I'm like, who the hell is texting me at 5 a.m. on a Saturday? <laughs> like, what the hell? And it's him like, babe, we just had like 30 migrants land on the beach. Like I'm up. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. Because yeah. normally like they typically land in Key West, like the lower keys, Marathon, like Isla Mirada. Like they, yeah. they, there's probably been one migrant landing like every three weeks here for the past few months. Right. Like there's been a lot happening. And so I was like, oh my God, like imagine being a camper, like <gasps> camping there and just like hearing at 4 a.m. 30 people just hooting and hollering. Like yeah. I'd be like, what the hell is happening? And if you've ever been in the dry tortugas, it's a small island. Like when 30 people land on that island, it's packed already. Like, yeah. You like it's small, like it's definitely like crowded, and it's amazing um, that they even like hit it in the first place. That's what I was it's thinking so too. Tiny. It's so small, but it's like on the way to Key West. So I'm, I was yeah. looking into it last night. I was like, I wonder how far the Dry Tortugas, like Fort Jefferson, actually is from Cuba. Because in my mind, like if it's 90 miles to Cuba from Key West, I feel like the Dry Tortugas would be closer. Uh -huh. but i also don't know which way it curves because i think yeah. it curves west so it probably is like just as far as key west but if it curves east or like southeast it's definitely closer to cuba yeah and um and so yeah so 4 a.m saturday morning 30 cuban migrants landed on the beach at fort jefferson in the dry tortugas and all yesterday what my boyfriend did was just monitor the migrants all day 
until the Coast Guard came and like got him out. And then they brought him to the Coast Guard boat like by fours. And so they were all gone. Um, but like it, they, they were trading stories. Like one of the law enforcement officers out there, he's Cuban. So like he could speak Spanish and yeah. so, like they were talking to them and everything. And one guy that was there, he, he had been an American citizen for like the last 20 years, but he went back to get his oh, brother no. yeah. who was with him that day so like they definitely worked out and then another guy this was his fifth time trying to escape yeah and then like there were like two um dark-skinned cubans there who literally told my boyfriend and like the rest of the law enforcement officers like oh yeah we were told that like police in america just kill black people on site so like we didn't know what yeah so i was like i mean sad that, like, it's that, yeah it, that's sad it's not entirely untrue i know but it's like <laughs> you know there's the bad apples are highlighted more than the, the good apples you know what mm, i mean mm-hmm. so i mean because like my boyfriend and like his co-workers like they they have those like uh the camping meals like the mres or whatever mm-hmm. and um so, like they they gave them food and like you know they gave them some of their own food and like water and everything and yeah so those guys were like oh we didn't know that law enforcement was nice and my boyfriend yeah, like, yeah yeah like we're we're here to help you like <laughs> I mean it's it's very situational and I and it, you know the prejudice against black people by many law enforcement individuals that is a thing it's a yeah. total thing and you know we can't ignore that but that doesn't necessarily mean that every single law enforcement officer is gonna be like that yeah. um and I think trust it me might, I gotta yeah yeah it's it's a it's a difficult you know dichotomy to work with especially when you know somebody in law enforcement who does what they should be doing and it's just difficult and so I understand yeah, I know like I remember when like all the George Floyd stuff was happening yeah and like my grandpa was law enforcement so was my grandma and my grandpa was a detective and everything and I remember my aunt like she got a little drunk one time and lit into me because I was talking about like the George Floyd stuff and I wasn't saying anything against law enforcement because at the time like I don't know enough about that story I was just Mm -hmm. like oh yeah like you know have you seen this kind of thing like I heard yada 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 and she just kind of took it in a direction that was like, your grandfather was not like that. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm not saying he was yeah. like, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I think was just like making conversation of the local current events. I don't know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think uh, as Americans, we're so quick to be like, well, if you're talking about this, you know, event, then you're talking about every single person who, you know, is law enforcement or who is black or who is a woman or who is this. And it's like, we all have completely different experiences. We can't deny the, you know, effect law enforcement has had on the black community, but we also, you know, and can't deny the fact that there are law enforcement people that are, you know, trying to do what's right. And it's hard because there's a lot of corruption, you know? Yeah. And it depends on where you're at, too. Yeah. Like where you're stationed or whatever. So it's just, it's complicated. It's very complicated. It is very complicated. But you should see the boat that they came in on. I am interested. I'll show it to you because it 
I don't know how 30 people fit on that boat. Yeah. So that's, so for those of you who don't know, um, Cuba is extremely close as the crow flies to Florida. It's what you just say, 90 miles across the West. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Cubans who are trying to flee Cuba as it is a communist regime, um, often end up in the keys um, because that's the first bit of land that they hit. And it it can be a very terrifying trip because, oh my gosh, look at this rinky-dink boat. They're called Cuban chugs for anyone that wants to Google that term. That bitch And their boat's made out of any material that they can find. The railings on this boat literally make look like they're made out of uh, paint stirrers. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to have to put this on the Instagram for y'all to see because it is. And it's a flat bottom boat. It doesn't really look like it has a hole. Like a and V-shape. Friday night into Saturday morning, there was a gnarly thunderstorm out there. So like they went through a like a severe thunderstorm in that boat. Oh my the god. The middle of the ocean. Uh yeah, so so it is 90 miles of open water. It is deep water. It is not like a fun little joyride across the bay by any means but it is like their best one of their best bets of like leaving cuba essentially and declaring asylum in the united states yeah and one of the guys i guess was showing them videos of the cuban police trying to catch people who are trying to escape because they don't want the cubans leaving and so like apparently those videos were hard to watch but Mm -hmm. yeah it's a lot and so my understanding is that like wet foot, dry foot isn't really a thing anymore, but it also kind of is still a thing because like yeah. once once they touch land, like they're safe. They're not going to get deported. Right. But they get brought up to Miami for like processing, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they're given a court date. And I think that court date is to, for them to say like, yeah, I'm seeking asylum. Yeah. And um. But apparently most of them don't show up to that court date because they don't speak English. They don't know what's happening. Uh, and so then they just like spend the rest of their life undocumented risking deportation. That sucks. That sucks. Yeah. So yeah. that's how that process goes. Like once they're here, they're they're here, but they get yeah. the court date and everything too. So Yeah, you'd think that they would have people because there's so many Cuban Americans and you know, Spanish speaking people in you know, Southern Florida. And like you said, in law enforcement, you think they would have them like sit them all down and be like, yo, this is what's going on. Like, if you want to stay legally and you don't want to have to worry about getting deported, this is what you do. Like, yeah, you just say I'm seeking asylum. Yeah, that's rough. But oh my God, that boat. (laughs) I know, right? I'm just thinking about like, so we have flat bottom boats um, for our base system that we sample. And it's Mm -hmm. very it's not a big wide open bay it's like a connection like of lake like little marsh ponds and stuff so we don't have to worry about wind being an issue thus we have the flat bottom because it's very shallow so we can get up into some of these marsh areas a flat bottom boat is not good for open water period (laughs) yeah no you need there definitely is no hole on that you're so right (laughs) i didn't notice that at first just flat bottom I'm just thinking about like you need a V hole to really cut through tough waves. Um, 
and yeah and i can't even really see what engine they have on this but obviously they had some sort of motor because like there's no sail well and And some some people just come over and freaking lifeboats and hope for the best like it's Mm -hmm. it's like little outboard motorboats it's not boats that should be out on the open ocean most of the time but they jam-packed these boats because about like a month or two ago, there was a sailboat that came in on Summerlin Key and there was a hundred migrants. I think they were Haitian yeah. migrants. Yeah. A hundred people on a sailboat that was like just as janky as that boat that I sent you. Yep. Like, I just, I can't imagine being in a position where like that's your option. Yeah. Like, like I never hope to have that experience. Yeah, me neither. Um, but my boyfriend also said that there's two other Cuban chugs that are on the island right now from previous landings earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And then on the way out there, they passed two abandoned boats. Oh, And so it's like that, like, I don't know, like that kind of try, I'm trying to give you like an idea of like how frequent they're happening and how yeah. much are around is like, there's tons of these migrants that are just coming in right now. And it's, I don't know like I never realized like I've been down here for three years and I just this past year it seems like it's exploded Mm -hmm. so it kind of also makes me think like that kind of goes to show what's happening in Cuba's kind of escalated a lot too maybe like I don't know like everybody's just really trying to get out or maybe I've just been more open-eared to like hearing these stories I have no idea yeah but it just seems like they're happening a lot more and I can't imagine being in that position to have no. to like, like yeah. imagine that being that brother that was like, I've been an American citizen for 20 plus years, but I need to go back to Cuba and get my brother. And so then I'm going to come over in yeah. this janky ass boat, like risk my life just to get back, even though like I'm an American citizen. That's oh, it's so scary. I know. But that's such a brave thing to do for your brother to be like, I'm going to go with you. Like, I don't yeah. have to. Legally, I can go back and it's fine. But I know I I was thinking about that last night. And I was like, I don't know if any of my family members would like I don't my brother would not be like, oh, Haley's in trouble. I'm going to go fly to her and get her out. Like, <laughs> Oh, my brother would 110 <laughs> percent. My dad would if he could, too. Hell, my mom yeah. would. They don't give a shit. They're like, <laughs> I think mine would just like sit and worry and try to use their resources instead of like them physically doing something. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to remember though, my dad's, you know, a retired colonel. My brother is a lieutenant and my mom is my mom. She's insane. So (laughs) (laughs) she's got some kind of crazy energy and power that she can just get whatever she wants. And it's amazing. It's like, She's a very intense person, but like most of the time she uses it for good, but you don't want to be in her way when it's, you know, if you, if you fucked up, you don't want to be in her way. I mean, just thinking about her being on like the town board or yeah. whatever, when that guy hit her with his car. Yeah. Oh, it was a golf car. It wasn't a, a car. car. <laughs> well, yeah. a motorized vehicle. <sighs> yep. Small town politics, man. That's fun. Um, well, I was gonna do a like, uh, like um, news story. Do it. I mean, we can still do it. Uh, you can cut my story down. No, I think that's totally fascinating, and we're totally keeping it. Um, okay, because I mean, that is an absolute like modern day survival story that 
clearly hundreds of people go through like monthly yeah um, and i didn't even really think about it as a survival story and so, until we started talking about it otherwise i would have texted you and like oh we could use this <laughs> yeah no it's that's really interesting all right well this one is kind of quick i guess but we'll make it long because that's how we roll <laughs> that's fine i got time so this one i is set in yellowstone Ooh. they you know how in yellowstone they have all of those hot pools like hot wait did this happen recently because my friend texted me about this yeah yeah okay I can't wait because I didn't read anything about this I was like oh I'll have to look into this but I haven't so I'm excited to hear about it okay cool yeah the hot pools yeah so (laughs) and they're not like hot springs like most people think of hot springs like a nice relaxing hot tub time like I've been to Mm -hmm. hot springs like that no this is like the hottest water and only extremophile bacteria can grow in it it is so hot yeah um basically if you get in it it will burn you to death like that is how hot melts your skin right down yeah and it's a lot of them are super acidic and that's why they're those really pretty colors right yeah all that extremophile bacteria the sulfur it's like a pit of hell basically beautiful but a pit of hell nonetheless yeah so people and animals occasionally fall into these because they don't follow the rules of like keep on the boardwalk path for the people the animals just don't know any better they don't know any better but they've also been living amongst the pools for you know thousands of years so it's just one of those things that happens but um so they found part of a human foot in a shoe floating in a hot spring Oh my god, the hot spring didn't melt the shoe down and everything, too? Apparently not. Oh my god, so could they identify the person from the... Okay, yeah, so this was on July 31st, so it was about a month ago. Yeah. Um, So it is a death being investigated, but officials currently do not suspect foul play, and they haven't disclosed details on how the death has been believed to happen or id the person who died so i don't know if they actually know who it is yet i feel like with so many deaths like people falling into these hot springs they should just have cameras around to just like monitor just in case something does happen they can like roll the tape back and be like okay this is how it happened because what what if it was foul play i mean that's a good place to hide a body like right that's actually genius when you really you know think what about i it. mean like you kill somebody just take them in the night and throw them into a hot spring no one yeah will ever know. oh my gosh yeah that's kind of genius actually don't 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 do it i'm not guys. saying you don't should do, do this this is yeah not recommended <laughs> murdering is never recommended just um, saying So the shoe was actually spotted by uh, like tourists and they thought it was just a shoe floating and they alerted like the park employees. So they like scooped it out and that's how they found a foot in there. There's a foot. Oh my God. And so I was like, I could totally see like dumb tourists throwing a shoe in there. Like, oh, let's see if this melts. Yeah. Yeah. They fucking do that shit all the time. Like, do you remember working at the VLM? They would always throw crap in the aquariums, like the open, like the swamp exhibit, because it was open. Oh, yeah. You'd constantly be throwing shit in there. Yeah. 
I I every Tuesday morning, I fed the brook trout. All right, yeah. you guys ready yeah. for the brook trout? They're native freshwater species in Virginia. Yeah. They're found in the mountains. <laughs> One, two, um, three, here we go. <laughs> yeah, so it was in the abyss pool as well. Okay. So if you want to go look up I'm gonna what that things. looks like, you are more than welcome to. So yeah, so this was the abyss pool, which is west of the West Thumb area of Yellowstone Lake. It is a 53-foot so that's 16 meters. It's very deep. Mm-hmm. And the temperature is about 140 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's 60 degrees Celsius, which is not that hot. I mean, it is very hot, but it's not as hot as I thought it would be. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. it does. Um, so park visitors are warned to stay on the boardwalks and trails and thermal areas where some of the pools have a thin breakable crust covering the scalding and sometimes acidic water. So I think this was in that kind of area where a lot of those like hot springs are. I cannot remember if I've actually seen this pool or not. Um, Mm -hmm. But so there is a ton of signage and you can see the steam rising off of it too. Yeah, you can. But like, it also is like very blue and it's like reminiscent of the Florida Keys water. So if I were there, I would be like, oh this is fine like I can see how it gets mixed up yeah yeah cool pool but I I, from being there in the areas where there's a lot of those pools the signage is very obvious oh yeah you can see that there's like a fence around it a little bit yeah yeah that I could totally see where there would be signage too yeah so yeah if you stay on that you're fine but um there have been 22 deaths within like hot spring related injuries in and around the park since 1890 see that's what i'm saying like i feel like they should just have cameras somewhere there's a lot of pools though you have to have a lot of cameras i guess like maybe the most high trafficked ones yeah i don't know like i don't know i just feel like it something needs to have some sort of um documentation in case something happens I don't know Mm -hmm. but also like (laughs) I'm thinking about a lot of like like because you can't get them for trespassing because they're dead right (laughs) but also like at least you could identify the person so they could like notify the family yeah but also like I think the family probably would know if like one they were visiting with them or two like Mm -hmm. this person went missing and they last knew that they were there like yeah it seems weird that it's like we don't know anybody who died or they it seems like they don't there's not like a death that it's like well we think it might be this person or yeah uh, and like, like how a, are these like death de- i mean i guess that sometimes they see these deaths happen but how are like these deaths really counted if like it just melts their whole body down i guess when they find like a shoe with a foot in it huh yeah um, and who knows, maybe there's more and we just don't know about it. Um, but a lot of the deaths have been like documented because they've witnessed it and they're horrific um, when they I'm do sure. witness it. Because oftentimes the person actually survives and is, <gasps> gets brought out oh, and really? then later die in the hospital oh. when it's witnessed. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 
If you want to learn more, um, the podcast that's spooky did a whole segment on Yellowstone hot springs deaths, and it is very disturbing, but also very fascinating. I probably will um, listen to that because I'm Googling hot spring deaths right now. Yeah. There is one where a guy chased after his friend's dog that jumped into the hot springs, Aww. not knowing that it was hot. And he just full ass jumped in, oh. but he survived it and then later died in the hospital. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's so hot that he went blind. Oh, like, my God. Immediately. So it's horrific. But if you do want to know more, that's spooky as an episode about it. Um, and that's actually how I found out about this was they literally did that episode and then a week later this happened. So, so anyway, isn't that wild? <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. So wild. <laughs> Very wild. Um, I can't imagine having, I would, gosh, if my dog ran into that, I'd just start crying. Cause I know there was nothing to do. No. And it won't help anybody for you to go in after them. Like, you know. No, not at all. So, um, yeah. So when you go to Yellowstone, uh, stay on the clearly marked designated trail for uh-huh. when you're in that area. Because um, there's lots of other areas that, that are like mountainous and don't have any hot springs. But it's that area that has a very like high geothermal activity. Mm-hmm. it's very cool and you should go totally go see it it's where like old faithful and all that stuff is but yeah no um don't go swimming i guess <laughs> yeah don't go swimming at Yellowstone. Uh, all right well let's get into our main story um so this is not quite a spooky season story yet but it has some spooky aspects about it for sure This is one I just kind of stumbled Mm -hmm. across one day, and it is a very weird one-off kind of survival story that there's not many, excuse me, there's not many others like it. Um, Oh. Yeah, this is a very rare kind of occurrence. But because we were talking about uh, decompression diving with the Bifur dolphin, it's, so it's kind of in that vein. Uh Um. And then also, because we were talking about the Thai uh, soccer team cave diving movie, the, um, what was it called? Thir- the, 13, yeah. 13, 13 Lives. 13? Yeah, I was going to think yeah, it's yeah. 13. No, it's 13 Lives. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of in that vein as well um, of rescuing people from impossible underwater situations. Yeah. Um, so then it made me want to do this one. Um so today we're going to talk about Harrison Okine and his 60 hours underwater. Oh my God. And it's a survival story. So I'm trying to do the math in my head. How many days is 60 hours? 24, 48. It's almost, three? it's almost three, three days. Cause three days, would bad be, at math. three days would be 72 <laughs> hours. So We talk a lot on this podcast about the skills it takes to survive, Um, talking about what you should do and shouldn't do in a survival situation. But one thing we cannot teach is the willpower and determination to last through some of the scariest, but also monotonous and boring, drawn out, physically uncomfortable and miserable experiences you can have. Because I feel like a lot of the times we talk about just the the will to survive like these physically awful 
experiences for very long periods of time. Like that's kind of part of it for sure. Mm -hmm. Like when you think about those Thai boys who are in the dark for eight days, essentially with no food, no water, Mm -hmm. for example, or, you know, like Ricky McGee, the the guy who got lost in the Australian outback, for example, and how he literally was eating bugs and crawling out drinking some water and going back in like imagining days and days and days and days of this kind of oh god i would never i'm too much of a wimp i would never be a good survivor (laughs) but when you think about those experiences like they also must have been very monotonous and boring too yeah Mm -hmm. on top of being terrifying like yeah like wake up another day in hell go eat my bug and then go sit in the shade and be bored for the next whoever knows how long right and so that's that's something that we don't we, we talk about, but we don't really acknowledge. So this like ability to survive these kinds of things is either something you have or you don't. Um, we have talked about the fortitudes of these situations, like the two month struggle of the Uruguayan rugby team trapped on an icy mountain or the two week ordeal of the Thai wild boar soccer team trapped in the darkness of a cave with no supplies, but they have always been surrounded by others others to help make decisions and others to help during times of weakness. But rarely do we talk about people who are alone and trapped with no hope of rescue, let alone trapped in the dark at the bottom of an ocean. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is one of those stories that seems impossible, unlikely, yet certainly happened. Um, And the person who went or underwent this ordeal came from this experience rising from the ashes to face his fear head on and this is the story of harrison okine the man who was trapped underwater for 60 hours okay so we got a picture of of harrison he is a 20 at the time of this incident it was in 2013 he was a 29 year old nigerian um who was working on a tugboat the and i am not really sure how to pronounce this it's jascon or jacecon four i might i might stick with jacecon that feels it feels right jackson jackson is that just J-A-C-S-O-N? a weird s-o-n is it just a weird spelling of jackson i, I don't know <laughs> i don't know either um We'll say we'll go that uh, the Jackson Four, uh, which is funny considering the Jackson, the Jackson Five. five. <laughs> I just thought of that too. Um, so it was a tugboat, um, and he was working on that tugboat as a cook. So he was just the steward, but he had been part of that twelve-man crew for years now. And on this day in 2013, the tugboat was undergoing a fairly normal mission for a tugboat. So the Jackson four mm-hmm. <laughs> is it going to be like a lot of mental energy for you to not say Jackson five? Yes. <laughs> the Jackson four Can was headed. Change it. <laughs> I'm fine. The Jackson four was headed offshore from Nigeria in the Gulf of Guinea. Uh, so this is in West Africa in that mm-hmm. little, you know how Africa has a big top and a, skinny bottom yes so it's right in the crook of where the top meets the bottom that makes sense the armpit the armpit of africa um 
So they're in the Gulf of Guinea, uh, steaming towards an oil tanker in the Atlantic Ocean that was floundering in the stormy seas. It was a vital mission to reach the oil tanker as it had just extracted thousands of gallons of gas from a nearby Chevron oil platform. The Jackson 4 (laughs) had been called to fix a line and keep her from capsizing, um, releasing thousands of gallons of gas into the ocean and also endangering the crew. So this was something that they did all the time. It's something that tugboats do here as well. You know, it's it's a regular kind of mission. And you can see a picture of the Jackson 4 first slide (laughs) it's a large tugboat it's a big boy yeah i um i was gonna ask you you already said it but i was going to ask you what year this happened because i may or may not have already scrolled a little bit yeah um and the one photo that you put on here i swear i remember seeing on the news you probably did like yeah i feel like i've heard about this before like this is ringing a bell for sure but I don't know all the details, so I'm excited. Yeah, this happened, I think, we were still in college. It must have been, because I graduated yeah. in 14. Um, yeah, I did a victory lap. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. So did Corey. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. Everybody finishes at their own time for a lot of different yeah. reasons. So at 5 o'clock in the morning on May 26th, Harrison had just woken up and stumbled toward the head or the bathroom to relieve himself before starting his duties from for the day, as most of us do. Mm-hmm. Um, the boat had been roughed up by stormy seas all morning, but Harrison wasn't concerned at the time because they had been in these kinds of seas before. Um, you know, it's one of those situations where it's dangerous, but because you've been in that situation so many times, you're like, it's fine. It's whatever. Yeah. I feel like I've gotten that way about some things. <laughs> yeah, me <laughs> too. Sure. So, so as he sat down on the toilet, he felt a huge shudder rush through the tugboat and realized something was wrong as it rolled over onto its side. I hope he wasn't pooping at the time because that would have been. This dude was literally just trying to take his morning shit and the boat sunk. <laughs> yeah. worst shit of your life like yeah (laughs) totally an oh shit moment Uh. (laughs) so harrison quickly tried to move towards the exits of the ship but all but a couple of hatches had been sealed to deter potential attacks from pirates because like that's something you still have to worry about in africa like that's totally a thing but I'm like, why would you why would you want to go after a tugboat? They don't have anything valuable. They're a tugboat, Mm-mm. you know? But yeah. apparently, you know, they, they must have had it sealed for a reason. You know what I mean? Um, so he encountered a few of his crewmen trying to seal off an emergency hatch um, on, from the water coming in. But a wall of water pushed them out from that hatch into the depths of the sea. So we like witnessed them literally being sucked out of the boat. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, and how deep of water are they in again? We will get to that. Oh, I will okay. let you know. 
Okay. Just note, note that we are going to be talking about depression diving at some point. So yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's, it's deep enough. <laughs> yep. Uh, so water began coming in fast and he struggled against the rushing water, trying to find safety, reeling from seeing three crewmen he had worked with for years, just gone in the blink of an eye. He knew that they were immediately dead. Um, yeah. It was pitch black in the ship as electrical power had shut off. Um, he had to feel around trying to find any part of the ship that still had air. Oh my god. And eventually he found an air pocket in the ship's officer's cabin. So yeah. yeah. So water continued rushing in, however, filling up the room and it basically forced him into the cabin's head, which again is the bathroom. So at the top of the head, there was one small air bubble that still remained. So golly. Well, the- I, I'm so curious how air bubbles form in those situations because you would think the whole boat would just be underwater. Well, if you ever tried to like flip a glass over, yeah, like, there's in like the an water. air bubble in it, yeah. So it's That's true, yeah, it's just physics. I mean, and I never took physics, so <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't very good at physics, but it's like if you have any air in there, um, and it's upside down, the air is going to rise to the top because it's lighter than the water. But because right. there's no way for it to get out, it's just sitting up there. Right. Right. So it's yeah. kind of the same concept. And there's a lot more compartments in a ship. So a lot yeah. more places for potential trapped air than like a, a glass. Right. Right. But it's that same kind of concept. So he's sitting in the head um, while the sounds of water rushed around him against the hull in the dark. The water surrounding him stilled and the air bubble held. So he started his ordeal off in the bathroom and ended up in a bathroom that saved his life. (laughs) So little did he know, though, that he was in for the long haul. Oh, my goodness. Um, So if you look at slide two, you can see where Harrison was hanging out. And it's pretty much the boat is flipped over. Yeah. And he is at the bottommost room on the boat, but in because it's flipped over, it's like the highest room in the oh, boat. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Right. Does that make yeah. sense? But that he's, makes sense, yeah. He's just, that's where he is. Hanging out, waiting Hanging for out. a rescue. Mm-hmm. So Harrison tried to remain calm and assess the situation. Everything was dark. And he was partially submerged in cold water. Mm-hmm. Um, he could hear the noise of water rushing against the hull of the ship, but he was alive and relatively unharmed, meaning he didn't have any major injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, the air pocket was about a meter square. That is the size. Oh my God. So he decided to build a platform big enough for him to sit on. So that he would be mostly out of the water. So he looked around from debris floating around to build his platform. Mm -hmm. Basically, he did this to stave off the hypothermia. Yeah. That he, because he, he wasn't, he was in his boxers. Yeah. He he literally. like he got up in the morning and he just like went to the bathroom and shit hit the fan. So he has no clothes on. 
So <laughs> pretty much. So he's kind of like, well, wow. if I hang out in this water for a long time. I'm going to freeze to death. Yeah. Before anyone can come find me. So he stated that while he was sitting there, he said, I am thinking about my family, my wife, what would happen, how she would live. How can I get out? Thinking about my life as well. I was praying a lot. Um, he settled in waiting and hoping for rescuers to eventually find him. Oh my God. So I'm like, you don't know when those rescuers are coming because they didn't put out any like SOS, right? It happened so fast. Well, he doesn't know if they did or not. And he's a, he's the ship's cook. He's the steward. Oh, true. Yeah. So he has no idea if they've, they put out an SOS or not. Yeah. You know, and maybe the captains did, but they're probably all dead at this point yeah yeah isn't there like isn't there a thing on every like not every boat but like most boats that like if it goes under like pings coast guard or something or do you have to literally say it's sos here's the thing though that's true of the united states this is in nigeria which you know africa in general is less developed than you know europe and i mean we consider them underdeveloped countries so they may not have the same laws and regulations that we do you know Mm -hmm. surrounding a lot of the stuff that they do even though they're essentially doing the same things Mm -hmm. um you know obviously they're developed enough to have you know oil platforms and stuff like that so it's it's not like you know what i mean but they may not have the actual regulations so i don't know yeah answer to that that's fair so while harrison knew the ship was likely capsized he could not know the true predicament he was in uh the tugboat at this point had sunk around 30 meters or 100 feet down on the seabed and was upside down oh my god uh harrison had managed to find the one air pocket left in the entire ship uh, meanwhile, the storm continued to rage around them on the surface. Um, and this was keeping rescue and recovery divers from attempting to go to the ship. And they had oh. no, I- they had no idea he was alive. Yeah. They were just like doing a recovery at that point. Yeah. Makes yeah. Sense. So he was on his own and his air bubble would only last for so long because why when you well, think about physics. The cave. <laughs> yeah. Think about with the cave, they were worried about because all of them were breathing out CO2. Oh, right. Eventually the CO2 uh, levels the rise. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And the air becomes oh, poisonous. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. But he didn't, I mean, he only knew that the air bubble would only last so long. He knew yeah. that. But mm-hmm. he didn't know about the fact that he was 100, 100 feet underwater. Yeah, that's a lot. That's like the, the the limits of open water diving. That's like I was gonna say I've max depth that for and I have yeah open water. I don't have advanced open water. That's like the deepest I've ever gone in scuba yeah. gear. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I was in scuba gear too. Obviously, I was like, no, thank you. And it's terrifying a little bit. And you have to, to have a deep. safety stop because it's that deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Harrison's predicament began to set in as he sat half half submerged in complete darkness. Not only were all these things happening, but he had no food. He had no fresh water. He had no light. 
had limited oxygen as every breath he took pushed more carbon dioxide into his pocket. I would not do well with the light. Mm-hmm. Last night, we lost power for an hour in the middle of the night. And I was just like, I had a flashlight on and I put like my phone hotspot on so I could watch Netflix on my iPad because I was like <laughs> scared I didn't have any light around. Because <laughs> like, typically like, you know, in a room, there's like that one dim light from some electronic that kind yeah. of like is a yeah. night light. And then when everything goes out, it's like, man, it's so dark. Right. So we've talked about this before where like with the cave stuff or stuff like that, um, when it gets completely dark, like with no light, the human brain starts going insane in imagining things uh-huh. to look at because it's understimulated. Yeah. So you start seeing shit mm-hmm. in the dark. Yeah. And I'm, I believe it. Mm-mm. Yeah. Um, that pile of clothes on your chair that like it's like the half clean, half dirty chair. Yeah. That suddenly turns into a monster. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Like, that's the scariest shit to me. I don't know why, but it is. Um, Yeah. They've done, like, experiments on this. I watched a BBC special about this. They were all volunteers, these people. They did, were in the dark for 48 hours. And they stated, you know, they just started seeing things. Just walking around. Some guy said he saw a herd of zebras. Like, crazy stuff. Yeah. So I could not. No. Um, that's, that's what would do it for me, especially being in water too. I would start freaking out. Like I would start. Yeah, I would probably start hallucinating, like thinking that something was touching my leg, or uh-huh. yeah, I definitely floating. You know. Yeah, I definitely would not be okay with that. Mm-mm. So he stated <laughs> about this: all around me was just black and noisy. I was crying and calling on Jesus to rescue me. I prayed so hard. I was hungry and thirsty and cold, and I was just praying to see some sort of lights Mm -hmm. because that would signify rescue. So as he didn't realize how far down he had sunk, he decided to try to find a way out several times. Uh, He found a rope in the cabin and used it much like a cave diver would tying it off to his air pocket area mm-hmm. to go explore the ship. Um, he tried to find an exit several times, but could not do so before running out of air. So he was forced to return to his air pocket every single time. Um, but if he had found an exit, it would be impossible for him to swim up to the surface without drowning. And even if he could, he would likely get the bends because yeah. it was a hundred feet below the surface. Yeah. There's no way you can hold your breath and, like, get out of the boat, but then also go up 100 feet. Right. Like, you would die or you just drown. You'd drown. Yeah. Probably before you could even get to a point where the bends would start impacting you. Right. So he wondered how long the air pocket would last, knowing that the pocket was growing poisonous with carbon dioxide with every breath he took. It was pitch black And he sat wedged up against a wall. And in the darkness, he could hear sounds beyond just the sound of the water. So you were talking about being worried about things touching you. Yeah. Uh, So he began to hear fish biting and crunching. Likely, he knew eating something or someone in the vessel. Oh, like a shark. 
Yeah. Because then, like, you know, when ships sink, it becomes, like, reef habitat for... Yeah. Or, like, it's, like, structure habitat for fish and stuff. And much of the crew was still on board. They were just dead. Yeah. 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 Um, so... Sharks are scavengers, fish are scavengers, and if they smell decay, they will come for it. And it's just yeah, the way it is. It's a matter of time. Yeah, that's just how they are. The yeah. animal instinct. So they're going to take advantage um, because they don't have human mindsets and really, frankly, don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't yeah. blame them. So, so he stated, I never knew if they were sharks or not. It was so dark. Um, as he was sitting half submerged himself, he too could have been shark food. Yeah, he could have. That's uh-huh. what I was thinking. I was like, when is this thing gonna like bite me? Like, yeah. Ooh. I don't know. Yeah. So sitting in salt water for so long was creating different problems for him as well, as his skin was peeling and his body was pruning. I mean, yeah. I think, think about Icky. just being in the water for like an hour yeah like i isn't there like something that happens to you when you're in water too long like that and your body prunes and stuff like doesn't your skin like fall off or like there's something right yes it can one thing i know is degloving which is really that's probably what i'm thinking about really gross um yeah it's basically you shed a layer a big layer of your skin um usually on your hands and it just comes off like a glove essentially yeah Yeah. um so he decided to make a raft that he could sit on from anything that floated from the adjacent officer's cabin to get more of his body out of the water so he was able to get almost his entire body except for his like lower legs and feet out of the water um so he continued to sit and wait either for his inevitable end or for a very faint hope of rescue yeah, right. I mean, I'm sure at this point, too, he's, like, questioning if he's ever going to be. Yeah, I mean, well, he really doesn't know how deep underwater he is, and he doesn't know that the storm is still going on. So, he was in this predicament for two and a half days, or 60 hours. <laughs> God. Uh, dealing with all these things. But then he heard knocking on the hull of the ship and it sounded like human beings so it sounded like patterned knocking maybe or like knocking with your knuckles yeah like didn't... divers that are coming through and like knocking on stuff to like yeah yeah didn't bearings, I guess. yeah it didn't sound like fish basically and he'd been listening to fish munch on things like yeah. the whole time oh that's creepy um, so also, he like would he question himself if he was hallucinating because i probably would too yeah yeah, I don't know because his hearing has been stimulated the whole time. So that's true. Yeah, yeah. He at least yeah. by that. So he realized that people may finally be investigating the tugboat. So he swam down and ripped the faucet from the sink, mm-hmm. um, and began slamming the metal faucet against the hull, trying to get their attention. While he's in this air pocket, so he got the 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 sink part up back up to the air pocket and was like yeah yeah gotcha. yeah um because he was in the bathroom <laughs> yeah <laughs> poor guy yeah <laughs> wow uh, um so 
it wasn't long before he saw lights, but they were lights in the water beneath him. Um, mm-hmm. He knew the divers were there. And so he mm-hmm. gently reached out to tap the diver's arm to let the diver know if he was alive. Yeah. Um, and then quickly withdrew his arm and waved, not wanting to spook the diver. Yeah. Um, and I would totally have you go watch this video because it's very, it's spooky. It, yeah, it's I like bet it is. freaky to watch because the diver had a camera on his, his, uh, oh, the GoPro. Yeah. But I, considering all of the <laughs> internet the issues, Wi-Fi issues, I know, sorry, maybe I will do that afterwards. Yeah. It's, it's really weird, but you can see on slide three, there is a picture of that first meeting that that's from that video. Gotcha. Um, and it's very murky. The water is as well. So the light belonged to diver Nico Van Heerden, who came to the surface upon, like, of the air bubble upon realizing that Harrison wasn't just another body on the ship because mm-hmm. they had come across dead bodies. Yeah. Um, he realized he was alive. Uh, Van Heerden belonged to a team of South African divers from DCN, a global diving company that specializes in body recovery. Oh, wow. Um, Chevron and West African Ventures hired him and his team to examine the wreck. Like, basically looking for bodies. <laughs> so, Yeah, I was going to say it was pretty much by chance that um, he was found. Yeah. Because if they weren't recruited to go this wreck. Yeah. Then. Yeah. So, Harrison stated on seeing the light and the diver, when I came, or when he came, I was just crying. He never knew what I was thinking at that time. I was not afraid at that time. I had finally decided if it's to be alive or dead, no problem. I had been ready to go, but God heard my prayers. So um, one of the divers on the team speculated on Harrison's survival. How it wasn't full of water is anyone's guess. I would say someone was looking out for him. Um, Yeah. They also reported that Nico Van Heerden looked like he had seen a ghost after finding Harrison alive. Oh, I'm sure. Um, which you can see that picture that was on the news everywhere. It's from the video of Nico Van Heerden finding Harrison Okine. Um, and just imagine spending 60 hours like he is in that picture. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The selfie with him, he looks so exhausted, and everybody else looks so happy to find him. And he's like, Can you just get me out of this now? Right. (laughs) Please let me leave for the love of God. Um, so once they found him, though, they all started realizing rescue was going to be the next challenge. Yeah. Which was very similar to the Thai cave diving thing. Mm -hmm. Because they were so they did. I mean yes essentially we'll get into it but okay in in this case it's not just because harrison was 100 feet below the surface is because he had been sitting here for two days two and a half yeah. days all while nitrogen had been building up in his body e- right because you remember the way safety stop works is the amount of time you spend at your safety stop directly correlates with the amount of time you spent at your target depth yeah so the more time you spend at that depth 
the longer your safety stop has to be. And he doesn't have like a full day to do a safety stop. Right. That would be insane. So Alex Gibbs was a life support technician on the surface um, because they had like a boat up there. Yeah. Knew the recovery would become long, a long and difficult rescue mission. Um, Gibbs said, I was shocked and then a bit excited. It was certainly unexpected, especially after nearly three days and seeing all the bodies coming up. Nobody thought there was anyone alive, but there were also a lot of concerns. Um, Since Harrison had Mm -hmm. been at depth for 60 hours, it was likely he had absorbed fatal amounts of nitrogen. Um, Mm -hmm. Bringing him immediately to the surface would have given him a likely fatal case of the bends. He needed to do lengthy decompression stops to prevent nitrogen bubbles from forming the tissues in his bloodstream. Mm -hmm. But Harrison never dived before. He had never dove. Dived? Dove. I always get tripped up on that. Me too. He's not a diver. (laughs) He's not a diver. There was also another medical complication. As he was close to dying anyway, they figured out because he has like had the beginning stages of hypercampnia because of the buildup of CO2 Mm -hmm. in the chamber. So in the video and kind of in the pictures from the video, um, you can see he is panting and has slightly glazed eyes, like red Mm -hmm. glazed eyes, which is like the first signs of CO2 poisoning. And you can see that on um, slide four, him sitting um, in the air pocket on that video. He's not looking too great. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So the divers had come basically just in the nick of time. The rescue crew provided him with fresh water and immediately put him on an air hose connected to a dive helmet and a tank down there, giving him fresh air. But because of the nitrogen buildup, they switched him to that oxygen helium mix that we talked about with the decompression divers. Mm -hmm. So this allowed him to get used to breathing in a dive helmet before he would begin and ascent to a dive bell to begin the long process of decompression. Um, this was around 7.30 p.m. on March 28th, about 62 hours after the boat flipped. Oh so their plan, instead of doing safety stops, was to get him out to a dive bell and do a full decomp there. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So the rescuers knew Harrison didn't have much time left and they needed to get him out. They decided to dive him out, guiding him out of the ship to the diving bell, which had been sunk to their depth and pressure. Harrison passed out during the transfer to the bell, but he was still alive. They then transferred him to a decompression chamber at the surface and slowly acclimated him to surface pressure. He spent three days, um, and while he was in the chamber, Gibbs, Alex Gibbs, watched over him and delivered him food changed his bed linen, gave him medicine, and was basically the go-between uh, from between him and like the doctors. So over three days, he decompressed. Um, he suffered from peeling skin from the prolonged water exposure, had reoccurring nightmares and insatiable hunger, but otherwise was doing all right. So Yeah, that's so wild. <laughs> yeah. He was finally released to the hospital on June 1st, six days after the sinking of the Jackson 4. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
Gibbs says of the experience that he has never experienced a rescue like this. Not one where someone has had to be transferred into a diving bell from the wreck. It's a freak occurrence. The fact that he lived, he found an air pocket and held it and it held for nearly three days. And then we happened to be in an area with a deep sea diving boat. So many coincidences had to happen to make this possible. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's just a strike of good luck. Or, yeah. you know, God heard his prayer. Yeah. Um, it is believed that this is the longest any human has ever survived after being trapped underwater. I believe it. Yeah. For sure. So Harrison was the sole survivor of this incident. But all of the other bodies were recovered except for one, which was never found. Um, oh, probably he, the one that was eaten by a shark. Yeah, potentially. <laughs> he swore to never go near the ocean again, but he actually became a certified commercial diver two years later in 2015. Go figure. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. So you can see that picture of him uh, on the last slide in yeah. his full diving gear. So it's not just like, open water like he's doing deep sea stuff yeah um nico van heerden the diver who found him alive on the wreck presented him with his diploma from his program um, which is awesome uh yeah. he has a newfound love for the ocean and is now in 2022 a imca class 2 commercial air diver and can dive to a, a depth of 50 meters um, which is deeper than his wreck was yeah so um cool good for him i know so he stated of his new career i'm enjoying diving it's life for me it's fun i believe the ocean is my world i feel comfortable relaxed there i like being in the environment which yeah. is really interesting it is I, I wonder if there's like a sense of peace in it just knowing that he survived it and like yeah. he probably is like oh if i survived it before then i'll, I'll be okay maybe i don't like know. i mean how can it be any worse than what he went through. I know, right? <laughs> so, um, well, it's interesting. I feel like that happens a lot. Like um, when we talked about that girl who that uh, guy killed her entire family while they were in the Bahamas and basically abandoned her in the middle mm -hmm. of the ocean. Um, but she ended up working for um, like a, a fisheries or like an environmental conservation organization later in yeah. life like working on the water so it happens <laughs> it does what is that the same story like of why life rings are orange and not white yeah that story that's what mm. it's called. i can't look at a life ring the same way again ever since i know that story there's so many like the little details like that that you find out in in these kinds of stories that you're like oh that's why we do it that way yeah. <laughs> okay um okay. Some yeah. girl's entire family was murdered and she was left for dead and couldn't be spotted because of the white caps. And that's why life rings are orange and not yeah. white. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can tell people that. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. So Alex Gibbs, the technician, and Harrison Okine were recently reunited on a commercial dive and Gibbs is thrilled to see Harrison thriving. He also, uh, Harrison also has a book written about his experience called Harrison Okine, 60 Hours Underwater by Virginia Lowe Hagen, if you want to learn more about this. Um, 
On his experience, Harrison spoke of fighting for survival and gave advice to others. The fear alone can kill you. I took fear off me and I believed what will be will be. Believe in yourself and keep your faith and your mind strong. Mm-hmm. And that is the story of Harrison Okine. That was a good story. I know. Rare for me, right? I know. <laughs> it's nice. I can, can continue on with my Sunday in a good yeah. mood. <laughs> you can only think a little bit about how sharks were nibbling on dead bodies, but you know. But I mean, that's their nature, you know, it's, that's, yeah. that's what happens. Yeah. I'm just curious. I wonder like what kind of shark it was though. But I mean, like it had to be kind of relatively small to fit through like the doorways and stuff, mm-hmm. right? And it could, could be some kind of reef shark, maybe. I was like a reef shark or like a juvenile tiger. Yeah. Because tigers eat anything. They do. And I'm sure they're they're worldwide yeah. like ranging sharks and I don't know. Sharks off West Africa species. Let's Did you know look. that there's like a reef off Mozambique? Yes. I just found that out the other day because in one of our staff meetings, my coworker mentioned that he was going there. Actually, it's my old roommate is going there for research. And I that's was like, cool. that's cool. I didn't know like that was a thing. Yeah. I mean, it's in the tropics, so it makes sense. There's a lot of places in Africa that are really interesting to me now looking at it from like an ecological yeah. lens, like Mozambique would be cool or like Zanzibar, that area. It's an island off of um, Tanzania, I believe. And okay. so you could do like your safari in Tanzania and then go to Zanzibar and go reef diving and stuff. So that which would cool. be cool. Or like, um, like Lake Tanganyika and like all of those like Rift Valley lakes, um, like Victoria is another one. They have this like very niche community of of African cichlids that act like reef fish. Huh. And so when you dive on those lakes, it's crystal clear and you're surrounded by all of these colorful cichlids. And I'm like, That's that would cool. be so cool to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at the shark species right now that they have and there a lot of them are the same shit we have so uh they have whale sharks they have great white sharks poor beagle sharks scalloped and great and smooth hammerheads so it could be hammerhead Ooh, the trifecta yeah probably. yeah um oceanic white tip thresher silkies we have silkies so there's a lot of things that could be silkies maybe i could yeah. see that but probably tiger too you know those are the three that come to my hammerheads too. Um, yeah. If they're small enough, but that's true. Corey is terrified of hammerhead sharks. He doesn't really. Yeah. He doesn't like the way they look. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> they, they freak them out. Weird head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a hammerhead on my safety stop one time. That was pretty neat. It was very far away. So it was like a shadow. We could just hardly make out the outline of it, but it's pretty mm-hmm. cool. I'm yeah. glad it was that far away from me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never really dove with like big sharks before. I've only ever seen like little reef sharks on my dives. Yeah, I actually, that was the first shark that I've actually seen on a dive. And mm-hmm. I was doing a wreck dive and I can't safety stop on the way up. And yeah, I just saw it out in the middle of the ocean. But yeah. um, there have been shark attacks down here, like 
more frequently than in the past. Mm-hmm. And like a couple weeks ago, a kid was snorkeling on Lou Key and just got bit from behind by mm-hmm. a shark and had to get like airlifted. And I don't know, I'm a little nervous about sharks and stuff. I mean, you read the Facebook's comments and stuff and it's like, well, like people chum that area. I saw that boat where that kid was on, they were chumming, like, like you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've totally snorkeled. I've blue key that like triggered something in my brain. I've totally snorkeled blue key um, from we left from Bahia Honda. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I saw sharks there, but they were little. They were like little uh, reef sharks. Yeah, that's wild blue though. Key is like one of the the prettier ones. Yeah, like, <laughs> I think I think it was Jeff Corwin. He came for like a TV shoot with our lab. And they took him out to Lou Key because that's like the prettiest one that's still out there, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I heard this through the grapevine, so take this with a grain of salt. Okay. But apparent, but apparently he, um, he was like, "This is it, like, can't uh. do like a prettier reef." And I guess someone on our team was like, "No, like this is all that's left, like." this is why you're making this episode. Like, this is why it's important for you to like, yeah. Communicate that like the reef is dying. This is all that's left. Like yeah. this is the prettiest spot we have. Like, like don't be um, a dick about it. Like this is your job kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like this is like, cause he was doing a reef episode. So it's like, I don't know. To me, it's like, you have to know that the reef is dying. Right. And like your spots are probably not going to be that pretty. Mm-hmm. but maybe maybe it was just like less than he was expecting i don't know i mean it's yeah you know just read read your audience remember like you should know that florida's reefs are dying if you are working in marine conservation in any any way um yeah Luki is really pretty though um when i was there i actually saw a goliath grouper cool it was a juvenile yeah so it wasn't as big as a real one like an adult but it was literally the size of my body like yeah what the hell (laughs) yeah (laughs) so scary I want to dive again I'm just nervous because of my asthma like yeah it's just like when I snorkel it acts up so I just I'm nervous about like diving yeah and to me diving is like underwater hiking you know yes so it's like you go to these and you see all these animals and you take your time and swim through it for a bit. Yeah. I think I'm also just out of shape for diving right now too. I think I need to get myself back in shape. Well, it's something you do slow and steady, you know, start off with a shallow, like near shore one or something like or shallow boat dive and then kind of move into that's like when I am trying to get back. Cause I don't have a lot of opportunities to dive. So when I do, I'm like, I'm going to do it all at once. But yeah. I like to start off with like an easy dive and then move into the more like deeper stuff. But um, yeah. so I have chronic illness. I've mentioned this multiple times. It's POTS. Um, but one of the cool things about diving is that your body goes into that uh, mammalian diving reflex mm-hmm. where when you hit, when your face hits water, your breath slows down. Mm-hmm. So for me, it actually really helps all of my conditions because mm-hmm. it slows the breathing down naturally and as long as you're not panicky 
like you'll continue to have that slow breath. Now I do use a lot of oxygen. That is something I know about myself, but yeah, I do too. It might be something for you to kind of see if that's also the case um, yeah. on like one of those shallower, safer dives. Like if you need to pop up to the surface, you absolutely can kind of thing. Yeah. That's just my personal advice, I guess, Yeah. Um, for diving with, you know, illness and stuff like that. But Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's talk about happy things. Yeah. Uh, my happy thing is I brought a new camera. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the um, the camera that I had at the Dry Tortugas that went for a little swim when it stormed yes. and broke. <laughs> so, it was beyond repair. Right. Um, yeah. So, I got my full security deposit back from my landlord when I moved. So, then I just bought a new camera with it. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so, that's how I spend my money, if anybody wonders. When I got my COVID check, I bought a paddleboard. When I got my full security deposit back, I went and bought a camera. <laughs> but um, I'm happy to have it back, and I've been playing around with it again, and I've been trying to learn the settings all over again. I don't know. It's weird. And then like looking through the viewfinder with one eye, I'm like, is my eye blurry or is this blurry? <laughs> like I can't, I, that's why I was like telling you this morning, I was looking into an eye doctor. I was like, I think I need to get my eyes checked because like, I've just we're, realized, we're, I think my vision's going. <laughs> we're reaching that age. Sometimes I, I wonder about that too. And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll check on it another day. <laughs> yeah. That was me like two years ago. But For that's sure. my happy thing is, um, uh, new camera to play with because I like photography and I've been seeing like these two cardinals around my house and I was trying to take pictures of them I really want to get into bird photography that's like this whole thing and like nature photography mm-hmm. so yeah and I learned that you can like sell your photos on Adobe for like stock images oh yeah that so you can. like you yeah. can have like a little side gig that way too so i was like that'd be cool if i could just like take some good photos and then put them on adobe and yeah. just get commissioned whenever somebody like uses them yeah you know that's that <laughs> that side hustle baby <laughs> all about that side hustle yeah yeah um okay i guess my happy thing is that it is my season even though it is not spooky season temperature outside i am making it spooky season in the house for sure um obviously on that pumpkin spice obviously wearing my little goth girl look (laughs) here you know wearing a lot of black um and decorated my house but i'm also working on a new miniature build for halloween i love your miniature builds every time i see them on instagram i'm like oh this is fun i don't know where you find the time to do that though I don't know. I, I don't know where I find the time to do half the shit I do, but yeah. whatever makes me happy. Um, yeah, I'm, I think it's just because I'm crazy. I think yeah. that's really what it is. Um, yeah. But it's my new, like, totally useless hobby. Like, <laughs> but it makes me happy. I love little tiny things. It stops me from constantly okay. rearranging the entire house and buying new things for the house all the time because that's all I want to do. But anyway, so this new one is going to be a little teeny weeny like witch's cottage. And I'm super psyched Ooh. about it. Yeah. So it's going to be that's fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's my happy. Th- All right. Uh, I forgot to do my um, citations. So I'm going to run through those right quick and then we yeah. can 
wrap this bad boy up. My sources are uh, Great Survival Stories by Harrison Okine. Or, sorry. Great Survival Stories, Harrison Okine, The Accidental Aquanaut. From Chasing Dreams, Travel on Explorer's Web. The Man Who Survived Two and a Half Days, Trapped on the Bottom of the Atlantic Ocean by Raffaella Cicerelli um, from Nine News Australia. Harrison Okine, Ben Thompson from Badass of the Week. (laughs) Uh, Harrison Okine, Moment Divers Find a Man Alive in Sunken Ship off the Nigerian Coast. And that is from The Telegraph. And that's the video if you want Mm, to watch it. Yeah. Um, So I'll include that. Um, So where can our listeners find us? Our listeners can find us on Instagram and twitter on instagram we are mother nature will kill you podcast on twitter we are at mnwky podcast and we have a website called mother nature will kill you podcast.com you can find us on and listen to us there and we are also on any streaming platform so Mm -hmm. spotify google apple what have you yeah and um if you have a survival story of your own if you survived for 60 hours underwater we want to hear about it but if you haven't and you just have had some very uncomfortable moments in uh nature or something kind of dangerous happened to you on a hike something like that we'd like to hear about it and you can tell us your story on the website we have a little section for you to submit your own personal survival stories to read aloud on the podcast and if you want to support the podcast but uh because we live in a capitalist hellscape money is an issue for you um you can simply give us a five-star review on any of our listening platforms um okay so next week we are getting into spooky season and i am so (laughs) ready um we are going to be talking about disappearances We are going to be talking about true crime. We are going to be talking about creepy missing people cases. And we are going to be talking about cannibalism. So we got it all. Oh, wow. all happening. Get excited. Dahmer shit, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So I think we'll wrap this up. So with that. Until next time, friends, stay safe. But most of all. Stay curious, explorers. See you later. Get ready for spooky season. <laughs> <laughs>